Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tonight, we got them. Goldie and the Salt. This is a chemical, chemical, disgusting, 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 disgusting. And it starts right now. <laughs> yeah, the the we got him hit me this week. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Craig Kilborn. Really, really stuck it to me. Well, welcome back to another episode of a typical disgusting display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. JC, how was your birthday? It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I keep getting deliveries still, so I'm feel like I'm yeah. Still I noticed you got a cake. Oh, you're from... so loved. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I feel you gotta... loved. Be nice. <laughs> Yeah, you got a cake from Perry Farrell like five days late. What happened? I got well, we had a rehearsal, so I had a cake there. I got a cake last night from Kim. And oh, oh, that's sweet, Kim. I picture Perry Farrell just having like a bunch of cakes in his house, going, "Uh, "Send one of these to JC." (laughs) I could see him surrounded by cakes like Alice in Wonderland. Actually, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> so now, are you are you going to town on these cakes? I mean, I'm just like for fifty, I'm just gonna get fat. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's a good plan. Because they're none that's of them are pl- vegan, and Stu's vegan, so it's like just me. So. Uh, and Stu Stu posted uh, had a very nice post on Instagram for your oh, birthday. Yeah, um, with a, a series of photos. First of all, if you know, if you wanted to send out a frame photo of that first one, I wouldn't be against it. Um, <laughs> But also a very Hilarious. funny, very funny usage of uh, Tia Carrere. Yes, uh, pretending that was <laughs> pretending yes. that was you. Like slide number seven. I love that technique. Yes, yes and, that was a and tribute to you. I get credit for yes. knowing the name of that band from Wayne's World was Crucial Tom. I was impressed. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah. wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. But th- I mean, that movie. Come on, Wayne's World was like. Yeah, it was a, a, a comedy breakthrough. Yeah, it was, so it, it was good I'll for me actually. It. As a like in terms of like I don't know, there's a Pacific Islander woman who's tall who played music. I mean, yep. played bass. Yeah, you know, it was like I don't know, just for me to see that, and then yeah. people are always like, "Oh, you're." I mean, after a while, I was like, "I'm not to your career," but I mean, there are a lot of people who <laughs> when, definitely associated that. When Stravinsky's uh, Rite of Spring premiered in Paris, whatever year that was, there were riots in the theater because it was so different from wow. classical music they had been used to. And I feel like when I, I would have done see, that. Yeah, I know. Well, I would have just <laughs> left. Too much I Tiffany. Left. <laughs> I'm going to fucking hit somebody. Yeah. It was basically that. They First joke burnt. of the day. First joke of the day. 
they almost burned down the theater when uh, it, that premiered. But that was the way that I felt watching Wayne's World. Oh, like amazing. I was, you know, like a chimpanzee in the audience there. I was when they when Tia Carrere and, and Mike Myers went up to the roof and started speaking in like Cantonese. I, I lost my shit. Like that was so funny. What a that great was movie! Great. That was how I felt watching Meryl Streep in Doubt. <laughs> you love to bring up doubt. She <laughs> had so much doubt. <laughs> that was the key component of the movie was doubt. But you know, one wonders is all this birthday talk merely you just trying to get a little bit of shine on yourself yep. for what's Whoa. coming up, buddy? My, who birthday. me? Oh, My don't make me birthday. don't make me say. Don't yeah. make me say. Don't make me sing. Happy birthday. Oh, come on, guys. Valentine's baby. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, my mom pushed extra hard to get me out on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Yes, I bet you wouldn't come out of the womb. I can just see that. (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm comfy. I'm comfortable in here. Pushing yourself toward the back. It's too cozy. The forceps nipping at your nose as you dodge them. I'm watching. I'm in here watching an episode of the Jeffersons that I've already seen. Columbo, I'll stay up here. (laughs) Watching the Love Boat hadn't premiered yet. Um, I'm not that young. No Columbo. Columbo. Uh, But yeah, you you listeners maybe are listening to this on. We're releasing this episode on my birthday, so happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. You know, I I, a couple things to talk about. First of all. We in the podcast last last week, which I I re-listened to and I I really enjoyed. And Goldie, again, I loved hearing about your process of how you write your script. I found that incredibly interesting and very useful. Can I confess right now? Yes, I feel so stupid because I'm writing a script right now. Oh yeah, how's that that going? And I. Did nothing of what I said. <laughs> I couldn't get the outline in the script because what oh, I no. forgot was that, like, sometimes you go out and people don't agree on the outline and yeah. then you don't know what to do. So, like, I was in this panic. Oh. I had no idea. Here I just presented myself as this great expert. On that. <laughs> Here's mathematically how you do it. Then I actually get out. I'm flailing like... An amateur, like it's my first time. Like I've never <laughs> done this before. It's all new, right? right? And and w- one thing I've forgotten that I wish I had said last week, but I'll just say now is yeah. one thing that just bedevils me every time I do this is from the jump you always feel like you're a day behind where you need to be when you finish. Uh, like you go, yeah. if I was here yesterday, I'd be in great shape. But I'm right. here today, and I'm in bad shape. Right. And now, right. at best, today, if I do a whole awesome day of work, I'll be a day behind. But I'll probably <laughs> feel like I'm two days behind. And right. th- this is, when we say we're writers who hate writing, like, <laughs> we mean that's, it. that's not just like, because we thought it would be some cool slogan. Like, I feel like I'm being fucking tortured and the fact that I've presented myself as someone who knows anything about it because every time I do it it's as though I've never done it before and also that I know nothing like if some board should come by and just hammer me behind a shed and condemn me because I don't know what I'm doing well I think that's very honest of you to say because your breakdown of how to last week again was incredible so I think it's very 
transparent of you to come up here and say, <laughs> but it's like you me know, going, here's how you hit it. a baseball. Okay. Yeah. You want yeah. the, you know, you grip here on the bat, and then you see me in a batting cage, and you're just like, this guy can't even hit a 40 mile an hour <laughs> fastball. Yeah. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck with the script, yes, and I'm sure you always get it done. It's always funny. So Ugh. just trust in, trust in the process. Trust nope. in the process. But something else that was revealed, let me just interject here. A little bit of uh, uh, business, because this will be, uh, this is dropping this episode on Valentine's Day. It happens that this Thursday, then, the, the 17th, yes. I will be on a podcast called Bitch Sesh oh. uh, with Casey Wilson. It's her great podcast. Is it podcast. about you? And Danielle, nice. <laughs> it's about you talking about me. Casey Wilson and uh, Danielle Schneider, they have a great podcast. about. It's about the Real Housewives franchises across the board, which, of course, I watch with Tall religiously. So I've been on it a couple of times before. But this one happens to be live in Boston at the Amazing. Schubert Theater on Thursday night. So I'm very excited about that. And if any of you listening are in the Boston area and are not scared of COVID, <laughs> come on. Come on down to the Schubert and listen to me bitch with the ladies. Wow. So that's exciting. But also a strange point from last week's episode, both of you revealed that you had <laughs> never seen a Western, which really, no. is insane <laughs> to me. It, it's crazy because I think it's a fantastic genre. You're, you're missing something and you're missing a piece of American history like in a way. It's like as American as jazz or acid rain or whatever the fuck. But it's <laughs> it, it, like you have to get in on Westerns. And my so dad hated John Wayne because my dad uh, well, fought in World War II. Oh. And he's like, he's a warmonger. Yeah, so well, I agree like, with we that. never watched it in our house because okay. him I agree and Bob that. Hope would make my dad totally lose his shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with your dad on John Wayne as a person. I think as a star of Westerns, he was very good. I, I think as a person, he was a fucking asshole. Okay. Uh, you can, by the way, you can listen on YouTube if you type in uh, John Wayne drunk. You can hear him giving a oh. drunk commencement speech at a wow. college from like the 70s. And he's going off on hippies and, and talking <laughs> and about college. how they, there was some college takeover where, and he said, and then these kids taking over the, the college building, defecating in a trash can. And this is like the college <laughs> commencement. It's fantastic. So don't cheat yourself out of that. It's a great moment for the Duke. But I thought, because Goldie, and I was saying this to JC before, I'm not worried about JC recommending a Western to JC. I feel like she's going to watch it. She'll either like it or not like it. Yeah. I'm worried about you. So when I'm, mm. when I'm thinking of these Westerns, I'm putting them through the Goldie filter of all the things you're going to make fun of <laughs> in a different Western. So I've arrived at a few. And now let me ask this question, because I think sometimes people don't necessarily think of this movie as a Western, but it is. So I'm just going to ask you. Have either or both of you seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Yes. I have not. Okay, so that's a Western, by the way, buddy. You've seen a Western. Okay, I've seen one Western. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, it you just so win. It ju it, yeah, thank you. It just so happens that's one of the best ones of all time. Okay. And I think it's a great bridge between okay. old Westerns of like John yeah. Wayne and modern westerns, which I happen to enjoy very much. So, so I'm, is it a just because I I'm not that familiar with them? Is it a yeah. trope 
that in every Western, one of the characters pointlessly rides a bicycle for two minutes. All right. See, this is why. This is exactly the kind of shit I was great. worried about. And by the way, that is the worst scene in the movie and could just be cut. Obviously, you're right about yeah. that. But, but by the way, what are you going to sit or here Or you tell kept me expecting him to go, remember when I rode that bicycle? Like you, you expect him to just say something about it at some point. Okay, but sit there and tell me that you didn't enjoy that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great okay. movie. It's probably the best, one of the best two-handers of all time. That could be another category at yeah. some point down the road. But here, okay, so here's my Western recommendation for you guys. Because again, I think the old Westerns, I like them, but there's something about them that's very mockable because they're made in a different time. Uh, Butch Cassidy is kind of, as I said, a bridge between those and the modern Westerns. But here, I was thinking of three modern Westerns. Okay, one of them, and don't tell me you've seen this because then the whole operation's moot, Unforgiven. Haven't seen it. Haven't okay. seen it. Unforgiven is, I, I think it's the the best Western of all time. Is that um, because it was more, it's more modern? The technology's better? The production? No, it has quality? nothing to do okay. with technology. The, okay. the storytelling is more modern, okay. which I think makes it better. It doesn't, okay. it doesn't you know, fit the natural cliches of a Western. It's it's sort of an unexpected Western. Oh, okay. But then I was thinking about a movie that I love that did not get nearly as much recognition as it deserved is, and it's the longest title to say in the world, so it's Great. kind of annoying, but The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Okay, don't snore in the title. Just, it's Sorry. a great movie. I just okay. blacked and, out for and, two minutes. And did you by say the way, a title? Here's the here's the third. I was I was halfway through the title when you woke up. Okay. And here's the third one. And this is the one that I'm going to recommend for both of you to watch because I feel Too like Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, <laughs> Julie Newmar. Ballistic X versus Sever. Okay, so here it is because I think this one has all the elements of a classic old western. But it is made in the modern era, so it has like that a modern sensibility for it. Okay. It's called Open Range. It stars Kevin Costner and Robert Duvall. It was made in the aughts sometime. Watch Open Range, and okay. when you guys watch it, then we can discuss it. And if you feel like you want more Western after that, we can keep going. But I okay. think Open Range, and for those of you listening at home, if you haven't seen Open Range... Watch it with Excellent, us. sort of not so often talked about Western. Okay. So, so there, we, we shook out that bit of business. Great, open range. I feel like uh, since I discovered all the Columbos on Peacock, uh-huh. open oh, range yeah. may have to wait till 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, first of all, we've seen all the Columbos. I haven't. I, you I haven't? haven't? No. Wh- which one did you watch most recently? Do you remember? Um, I think the most recent one it involved, I, I think Robert Conrad played a guy who ran a gym. Oh, I love that one. A fitness series of fitness centers. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Milo Janis. Milo yeah. Janis Fitness. Yeah, I love that. Wow. I yeah. love the, that one. Because Robert Conrad is was in real life an asshole and played okay. basically himself. Everyone was then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Robert Conrad was also famously... The one who uh, Gabe Kaplan smoked in the Battle of the Network Stars, providing us one of the greatest moments in Jewish sports history. <laughs> yeah. So Robert Conrad was like complaining at, at that old Battle of the Network Stars show that their team had somehow been gypped. They would, were lost unfairly. 
And so then he proposed with Gabe Kaplan, who was the head of the ABC, the captain of the ABC team. Okay, what if you and I do a sprint and that'll decide the winner? And Gabe. And Kaplan, wasn't he like thirty years older than Gabe Kaplan at that point too? No, really? I think he. I think he was maybe like ten to fifteen years older, but in way better shape. Like known for being in shape was okay. Robert Conrad. Okay. So he challenged Gabe Kaplan to a sprint. Gabe Kaplan instantly agreed. They show the sprint, and it's a beautiful thing. Gabe Kaplan, like, starts out a little behind and then just turns on the Jew Jets and <laughs> zips by him and, it, and just Jew breaks jets. the tape. And you can see all the guys from Welcome Back Cotter at the tape, like, cheering, like, Horshack and all them are, like, waiting to hug him. It was a I great just, moment. Think, one thing Robert Conrad should have known is every Jew at any moment is ready to sprint 400 yards (laughs) out of necessity. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Exactly. You just never know. Yeah, yeah. And and Gabe Kaplan had saved it up for that moment. (laughs) It's in our genetic code. (laughs) This group of people may turn on you. And you may have to get away very fast. Get ready to run. Uh, Goldie, I think we were talking before, and and you wanted to talk a little bit about this uh, Joe Rogan Spotify yeah. business. Yeah. Ah, well, cool. I first of all, I think it's funny anytime anything bad happens to a company. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, <laughs> so the fact that everyone's up in arms and they're like, Spotify is losing three hundred million dollars just, to, and it's like, great. Yeah, hilarious. Do I care? Awesome. Like, it's, yeah. you know, uh, the, the whole WeWork debacle, and it's like... That was hilarious. They, they lost billions, and it's like, you thought this guy, this friggin' 6'6 lunatic who just kept saying weird buzzwords to describe a space with desks that, like, revolutionized real estate to the point that it could be evaluated in the economic parameters of software... Or Theranos, where it's like this deep voice. Of, hey, oh, I love I'm that. I, God, my I uncle had that. Uh, leukemia, so I invented this thing where you could prick a finger. And you just thought she was a genius, but you never saw the machine. And you lost, and like Betsy DeVos lost billions of dollars. And it was good. like, oh, yeah, oh good. this is really bad. It's like, this was great. I know. Peloton, <laughs> a fake character, dies on TV. And then the company's... Loses eighty percent of its value. I love that too. <laughs> so that's hilarious. Just so, to think that Sex in the City would have a negative impact on a giant company is so yeah, hilarious. Well, it's like well. picking an exercise bike, and and it occurs to them like a fake character died on this, right? So it might be dangerous. <laughs> well, so the yeah. fact that like yeah that this, that any of this happens, right? It's great. I love it. Yeah, and I will say that we have a Peloton here at home, and I and I will just add in Peloton's favor that it it is great for hanging up clothes. Oh, it's fantastic! <laughs> I use mine Terrific. almost every day. I love Terrific. It. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Olivia Amato and Ooh, uh, yes. Cody. I love Cody. 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 Cody yeah. Rigby. Rigby. Yeah. Rigby. Yeah. Same. They're, I'm, they're I'm a Robin. Good. I'm a oh, Robin. There's girl. a bike trainer named Cody. You could knock me over with a feather. <laughs> for God's so, sakes. <laughs> so the second thing I I love about this is that so Neil Young said I I won't be on Spotify if Joe Rogan's on Spotify, and then Spotify picked Joe Rogan, then Neil Young left, and then. Joe Rogan came out and he's like, but I really like Neil Young. So the second thing I find hilarious is when someone specifically learns that one of their idols hates them. I love that. Like, I love that's that. That's just great. That's yes. just 
yeah, it absolutely feeds our souls to hear stories like right. that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because so, we're bad people. Yeah. yeah. Essentially. <laughs> but then the, the third thing that just I love is that when anyone in show business thinks they're being canceled and it's this bogeyman or boogeyman. Yes. One of those. <laughs> yeah. It's this thing that, that, that it's this blanket that's tossed out as I'm being canceled. You can't cancel them. It's wrong to be canceled. So when I decided I wanted to go into show business, the first thing that happened is everyone I knew told me I was an idiot. <laughs> everyone I knew said, you're going to fail. It will not work. You should choose something like insurance or fleet bank. You should go to law school. No one said, great idea. It's going to work out and you're going to be able to achieve all your dreams and have financial stability and success. They said, you fucking loser. <laughs> You're not entertaining. That's a whole other thing. It's not going to work. So, oh, but you are. The default of show business has been and should always be failure. So when yes. you think you're uh-huh. being canceled, here's what happens. You're not being canceled. You're just returning to the default state of it doesn't work. <laughs> and no one should ever be surprised right. when a career in show business suddenly vanishes. That's not called being canceled. That's called law of averages returning to the mean. When you go to the blackjack table and you win and you're like, oh my God, I'm up $1,800. And then you get wiped out. You don't tell the dealer, I'm being canceled. You don't stand up and shout to the casino. They've canceled me at blackjack. This is ridiculous. This is a crime going on. Everyone needs to mobilize and tell the dealer how important I am. You just go, yeah, the luck ran out, you dumb fuck. <laughs> There's no such thing as being canceled. Everyone just decided they hated you at once. And it's your fault. And it's over. Sorry you were winning for so long. It blinded you to the fact that you can also lose. But everyone's losing all the time. We're all pre-canceled. <laughs> well, first of all. First of all, it's African American Jack, so you are canceled. It's not blackjack anymore. Canceled, right there. That's a what a great rant. We're all the I love de- it. default setting is it's is losing. Uh, that's default in our stars, right there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so vexing to hear people complain, and it's like because you had a lot of followers doesn't mean you'll always have a lot of followers. Yeah, right. yeah. You know, because people liked what you were saying up to that point, then they learned you said other other things, and now they don't like you as much. That's right. what happens. That happens. That's, that's yeah. nature. That happens. And by the way, Neil Young, it's his music. He can say, I'll sell it to you or I won't sell it. If, if you, you know, sometimes like I'll make something for my kids and uh, they'll complain about it. And then I'll go, I'm not making you something else. <laughs> you don't like the pancakes? I'm not making you eggs now. Like, by the way, what psycho has pancakes and then wants to go to eggs? Right. But it's like people yeah. change their minds. Yes. But one other thing, and I wanted to go through this with you because you know, so you know a lot about music, is the threat of Neil Young removing his music. <laughs> like, that sounds like a big grandiose thing. But I would be curious, out of all of Neil Young's music, what actually gets listened to how much, right? Like, we're really right. talking about five songs that he's threatening to remove. <laughs> Are you looking? He's looking. So, right. You're looking okay. up stuff. So Goldie, you go, I can't. Okay, I so you disagree go, with this. Old Man. He's removing Old Man. That's a big one. That's, That's a, a good, good one. Song. That's right. a good song. 
Yeah. Heart of Gold. Ooh. Great song. Really good song. He's Great it. song. Can't listen to it on Spotify. I might cancel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cinnamon Girl. Love it. I love Cinnamon Girl. Love it. Love it. The Needle and the Damage Done. A pretty deep song. It's fine. Deep I'm, song. I'm not really worried about heroin. I heard you knocking at my cellar door. My, my, hey, hey. Yeah. Okay. Out of the blue into the black. There we Ohio, go. Ohio, the, the best song ever about stumbling on a dead body. All right. <laughs> Settle down. Okay, Harvest Moon. The, so these are some, song. These are some good song. Neil yeah. Young songs. That, that now, was six. Now I'm going to just name six, some Neil Young, like entire albums I've never heard of. <laughs> okay. All right. You're going to miss. Well, are you going to miss? The album called This Notes for You. <laughs> no. Can you no, name I, anything on it? This Notes for You, the song, This Notes for You. But okay. Yeah. Are you going to miss the album called Are You Passionate? No, I don't know that one. Welcome Are you going to miss? Welcome to Greendale. Don't say that. I, I'm not even going to say that. Are you going to miss Le Noise? <laughs> Le That's an actual Neil You Young made album. that up. No, it you is made that up. Released that's... September 28th, 2010, label reprise. Reprise. I'm going to say. I could pronounce reprise a hundred times. I know. Different reprise. Wrong ways. You too. I, don't I don't know. know. Yeah. Are reprise you going to miss Chrome Dreams 2? <laughs> well, Chrome Dreams 1, don't get me started, but Chrome, Stream, Chrome Dreams 2, maybe not. And he had an album that, are, that came out in 1982, probably very ahead of its time. Are you going to miss Trans? <laughs> oh god anyway i so it's it's like when you talk about neil young being removed it being this big thing like i would love to know statistically in a year how many people went to spotify and were like i gotta hear chrome dreams too <laughs> but i think it's what's more accurate is that a lot of people would listen to like his greatest hits, which is a class. His yeah, greatest yes. hits is a double double album. I'm not all. shitting on Neil Young, by the way. I, right. I love oh, Neil it Young. It sounded like, like you were. <laughs> well, it's it's like now sure as hell just, sounded. It's like the equivalent it. of like you know firing up IMDb and reading the titles of my dad's episodes. <laughs> no, don't do Neil like that. Are you kidding me? That now you are shitting on him big time. How can you say you're not shitting on Neil Young and then compare him to dads in one breath? Oh my goodness. Oh, I won't have it. I won't have it. Um, that that's very funny though. No, I, I I your point is taken. It's not like he's Taylor Swift or Adele where people are just voraciously consuming Neil Young these days. But I hey Neil Young's Neil Young is like my I love that he did it, by the way. I, yeah, again, me too. I think it's great Power and I, I applaud him and I think you yeah. know, it's very rock and roll in the old yeah. school sense of yeah. when we grew up, it's kind of punk. Going like, Absolutely. you think you're the only distribution thing? I don't even want your stupid money. Yeah. F yeah. off. I'm taking my music and going home. I yeah. love that. Yes. Yeah, yeah totally. that's great. And that's if great. I, if anyone wanted anything I'd ever done, I would on a daily basis be pulling it from everything. <laughs> no one would care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get, yeah, and I love Neil Young. I feel like he's, you know, it, the five or six songs thing I don't agree with. I would say it's more like, for me, it's like 20. And that's a lot, you know, in life. Yeah. When you think about bands you like, if you think 20 songs, that's, that's, they've done it. Like, uh, Neil Young is sort of my Bob Dylan. Like, I never got into real Bob Dylan. I don't, me I, I like him when I hear it, but like, he doesn't, Neil Young does, fills that hole for me. 
Bob Neil Dylan's Young's like, filling my like hole. Herman Melville. You know, I'm, sure Mo- I'm sure Moby Dick is really good. It is. It is. Very good. It is? It's very good. Moby Dick is when a great book. When did you read it? I don't know, you have to read Moby You remember that Dead Poets the school, you're, the school you're always giving me uh, yeah. shit for? Like, you got to read all that shit there. We read it all there. Oh, I can quote the whole book for you. Call me Ishmael. Don't ask me any, anything else but that, that part I know. <laughs> Call me Ishmael. That's the right. First I will. sentence. I read the whole book. And they, I, was, no, I, I was out at that point. Call me Ishmael. No. I know the. Uh, no, I refuse. I also know the last sentence was. Uh, and, uh, Just and kidding the, about the and, Ishmael. <laughs> yeah, you were calling me Ishmael this whole time, you idiot. No, my the last sentence of that book, it's a great one. It's, um, but the real Moby Dick were the friends we made along the way. Oh, yeah. yeah I Famous quote. Famous quote. Um, all right. We're I the last sentence was, and then I realized I left my shoes on the boat. <laughs> I was the Moby Dick. All right. We're telling jokes already. Let's get in to Johnny Jokes. Sneaky. You reel me out and then you pull the string. I love it. Um, I honestly I'm am stealing de- that delivery from my six-year-old. Who, <laughs> she was sneaking animal crackers last night. Do you know like the, the word sus is short for suspicious with the yes. younger crowd? So it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Sus, I didn't that's know. sus. And yeah. so my daughter. So sus, yeah. she, I caught her and she was had the whole thing of animal crackers and she turned back to me and she said, sus. That's hilarious. Wow. So that's where I got that delivery. Well, tell her thank you. She's contributing. All right. So I'm going to do what my dad hates right now and say that this week's crop is particularly bad. But here we go. We're going to we're going to muddle through them regardless. Okay, here we go. Well, a massive ice storm uh, last week throughout most of the country shut down the Dallas airport. Yeah. Uh, conditions were so slick that Ted Cruz stepped out onto his driveway and slid all the way to Cancun. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I changed it to Cancun because it's a funny sounding word. Uh, here we go. Um, well, some bad news uh, oh. from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Famed groundhog, Punxsutawney Phil, let us know that there will be six more weeks of winter when he emerged from his slumber and saw his shadow. Yeah. Uh, and to make a bad day even worse, he also saw Michael Bay's moonfall. <laughs> I like it. Two, two bad things to see in one day. Yeah. Didn't, not the day Phil had planned. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get uh, controversial here. Uh, In the wake uh, of a recent temple takeover, Jewish communities are practicing active shooter drills. Yeah, pretty scary. Uh, In order to repel future assailants, members are encouraged to carry first aid, uh, a can of mace, and pictures of their grandchildren. I don't get it. (laughs) For the first time ever. I'm stumped. I don't understand the joke. How are you going to repel someone by showing them pictures of your grandchildren? That's that's an easy way. Like, they're going to run away from that. They don't want to see Jewish grandchildren. That's my point. Oh, sorry. That that was not good. 
no. Dad, you hear that, Dad? I told you I couldn't do it, Dad. Uh, it can right. only be up from here. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's not say that uh, too quickly. Uh, let's see how we're going to end here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. Now, this one is even worse. I don't know why I'm ending on this. Okay. A, a crocodile in oh, Indonesia. Okay. Oh, we're off to a good start. A crocodile in Indonesia <laughs> who had a tire stuck on its head for six years has finally been freed. <laughs> when reached for comment, the fanged beast said he will spend more time in a lake with his family and has no plans to retire. <laughs> That's good. Oh, okay. Full recovery. <laughs> Oh, boy. Get me out of here. All right. Stumbling to second Johnny. Go ahead. Take it over, please. You know, fortunately, the bar is low, but I'm not even sure I reach it. Very low. Very low. Easiest limbo of your life. Uh, Here we go. A nun. A nun. A nun, you say? A nun who embezzled over $800,000 from a school to pay for her gambling habit was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Yeah, the story gets even worse. She bet 50 grand she'd be acquitted. (laughs) (laughs) We we almost had the same joke. But by the way, it was was only a year. You're fudging the story for the joke. Oh, I uh, fabricate (laughs) stories. You haven't realized that? I've done that too. Uh, You gotta make it work. (laughs) Apple, Apple. Whoa, Apple. Yeah, Apple. (laughs) Apple. The large company, Apple, <laughs> has unveiled a new innovation where you can tap two iPhones together to pay for goods and services. Oh, wow. Yeah, you tap two things together, then money changes hands. Apparently, Apple got the idea from my last marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Tapping Love Johnny specific jokes. Okay. <clears throat> well... There's a new airline called Love Cloud, yeah. And for $1,000, they'll take you and your significant other up into the air and allow you to join the Mile High Club. hey Pretty racy. (laughs) And for an extra $100, they'll fly through turbulence so the guy can say, I didn't mean to stick it there, it just happened. (laughs) You mean the tushy. (laughs) That's what I mean. Anal, my friend. (laughs) It's a joke about anal. The true Johnny tradition. And I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it a norm. Norm. Love them. Well, the the Olympics are happening, (laughs) and the American luge team has caught the dreaded COVID nineteen. Oh, yeah. Well, gee, I hope they recover enough to participate in their event of lying on a sled for twenty seconds. They said they wanted to compete, but at this point, they have nothing to lose. Oh, that's very good. No, sorry. It's a pun. Uh, before we before we get into it, we're we're gonna we're gonna do our weekly tradition of uh, trying to make our way through Mike Royce's email in a minute. Um, but I just wanted to uh, see if if any of you did either of you watch the Netflix documentary, The Tinder Swindler. No. It's not yet. I really want to. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's very. I think you'll enjoy it. it, okay. it it's 
It's satisfying, yeah. But for okay. some reason, and in the same way that I have that Witzelsuch syndrome of like punning yes. and wordplay, all I could do when I was watching it was I was picturing for some and and we're going to start a, uh, a segment on the show called Needless Impressions. So here's one. It was <laughs> okay. my impression like of uh, Dick Van Dyke watching the Tinder Swindler. Here's a hot <laughs> off the presses Dick Van Dyke impression. Well, for Pete's sake, he's known worldwide as the Tinder Swindler. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that was it. That's it. He's telling someone about it. <laughs> I don't know why. I got it out of my head now, oh, so I won't be repeating it to myself all morning, every day. I understand. Uh, anyway, so now the, uh, the, the new part of the show that's uh, burning up the internet uh, is called We Get Through Mike Royce's Lengthy Email. So when last we left... The email. Mike Royce was chiming in about our breakdown of the Cheers pilot episode. And Mm -hmm. I believe we had gotten up to the point where he was explaining the value of having uh, the hidden entrances in Cheers where they come down the stairs. And he was saying on on his reboot of One Day at a Time, they put in like a curtain on stage so people could make little entrances and, and surprise the audience. So... Let's continue, JC, with the next chunk and see how much we can get through. Okay, here we go. So uh, that's not even why I'm writing. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay, that's his mic saying that. Yes. God, I'm such a good procrastinator. I just wanted to add into your Cheers dissection the skill with which they wrote backstory and exposition. Mm -hmm. This is probably the hardest thing to accomplish in any scripted show getting out background about the characters without it looking stilted and yep. ideally making it entertaining. Yes. They, I, I, I want to just point out, because like if you read enough pilots, there's always the line of like, I can't believe I'm 39 and not even married yet. Yes. I can't so believe clunky. you're you're 48 yeah. and you still work for your dad. Right. Yeah, yeah. How are you the CEO of a tech company? You know, like that <laughs> yes. kind of stuff. Yeah, right. where there is in Cheers, it's great. They really do integrate, like, especially I'm thinking of Carla. Me too. She's late for say. work. She comes in like a house on fire complaining about her family, her situation, yes. and tells everyone to get off her back. And right away, you yes. know 100% who she is. They do yeah. it great. So continue. Okay. Phil Rosenthal always used to tell us on Raymond that you have to make the setup funny too, so people don't know they're being set up. That's a good point. And Cheers did that masterfully. They he did. does a little bit of breakdown here. Yeah. Diane comes in, we learn her story organically, and then she serves as the new kid who everybody else uses to get out their backstory. A brilliant conceit. Aided yes. by the setting of the bar where people share their stories, as you point out. Yes, we did point that out, Mike. <laughs> Sam's background comes out organically because Diane is there to be filled in. And because of the sports talk that would naturally occur at a bar, as you also pointed out. Yeah, he's kind of just rehashing what we said at this point. But yes, yeah, we agree okay. with you, Mike. We're, we're <laughs> okay. in lockstep. Carla's entire backstory comes out in her character-based entrance of frustration. Even the call that comes in, Norm instantly says, if it's my missus, I'm on my way. I guess Vera didn't have a name yet. Yes. And we now know that this barfly is married, and Coach's hilarious joke tells us his name. It's all super efficient and buried in jokes, so we're learning and laughing, and now I sound like a second-grade teacher. And And that's a good point to stop for the week. 
because that's that's already a bit much. <laughs> but Mike really he makes this point very well, and I'm I'm, I'm yeah. shitting on him for saying things we said, but he actually said it much better. Like to bury exposition in quality jokes is rare. As Goldie pointed out, there's so many pilots that you read or see where the exposition is so clunky and it makes you want to turn it off right then and there, and often you do. But with Cheers, they embed it in such... It's so organic and the jokes are so funny that he's right And uh, to what Phil Rosenthal said. Like, we're, we're getting set up, but we don't know that we're getting set up. We think we're just enjoying jokes in a story, but we're, we're learning about the characters along the way, which is every show could benefit from doing that well, especially pilots, obviously, because yeah. that's where you're learning more about them. There's also um, kind of a meta thing going on here because you having worked with Mike and he's a great, great writer. And he's one of those writers who's also a teacher in the room, but you okay. don't realize it. And so what he's doing is he's actually kind of pitching, but kind of teaching. And in doing so, he's holding your hand and, and going, wow. I'm not going to point out your ignorance, which right. I think you have here, <laughs> but he's. But like kind of pinning it on himself, like I'm just recapping. And he when you work with really good people, sometimes they do this thing where it's like, here, I'm going to lift you up and help you, but not make it look like to everyone that you don't know what you're doing. But I'm subtly letting you know, hey, this is the right thing to do based (laughs) on experience. And uh, he's I I really enjoyed working with him. And I I thank him again for writing in and even listening because yeah i, no, I think the world of him it's awesome that he's it's listening cool. and and to hear his his breakdown of our breakdown is yeah you know and he emailed a follow-up so we can just keep doing this <laughs> i know yeah this could and go on <laughs> we could be doing this through the summer I, yeah I it's sort of it. like this great standoff where it's like <laughs> I'll, I'll keep talking about it and yeah. if you keep emailing then i'll keep talking about it we'll just see who blinks <laughs> first buddy yeah and and just a reminder if you want to email us uh our email address get in is, line <laughs> no, no line on the email machine, Jenny. Um, our our email address is a typical disgusting display at gmail.com. Email us anything, questions, comments, suggestions. We love we reading them. We read them all. In fact, Goldie, I, I seem to remember reading one this week where a woman uh, definitely agreed that there is a time for seasonal movies and that they do definitely exist with the heading of the email of, no, you're not an idiot. So, you know, I think... Oh, yeah, that, that email rested. from Alexa Polkin what? really fooled me. <laughs> no, her name no, no, was no. Rachel Bucci. That's her right, name was Rachel. Rachel Bucci. I'll never forget it. Thank you, Rachel, for supporting <laughs> you, Rachel. what is right for having a soul and understanding <laughs> that there is a time and a place for certain movies. We appreciate that. If you exist. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you think Rachel Bucci is a created name? How could anyone even think of that name? That would be so creative of someone. Uh, no, thank you, Rachel, for that email. Yeah. Um, thank but you, now, Alec. <laughs> no, not Alec. God damn it. We're going to get into this week's theme. And this week's theme, Goldie, you suggested this. I think it's a good topic. It's a good thing for, for writers to know about, to know that exists and is out there for them if they want to use it. We're going to talk about non-writing producers. And maybe it's a term you've never even heard. I don't think I had before. I was out here for a couple of years. But Goldie, just break down a little bit what what that means to you, a non-writing producer. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's hard <laughs> knowing that I 
expounded on something last week and then tried to implement it on my own and failed disastrously. But here, here's why I suggested the topic is because when you're trying to create a TV show, you're trying to sell it. And, you know, the first step is you pitch it. And, and I think people are under the impression you just write a pilot and maybe someone at a network reads it, then they say they want to do it. And that, that isn't what happens at all. There's a lot of intermediate steps. And right. the longer I do this, the more I realize it's sort of like Watergate. You got to follow the money. That yes. determines how things get made a lot more than the actual creative content of what's in one individual script. What do I mean by that? Well, here we go. So likely, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, you're nobody. (laughs) (laughs) It's likely true. We're nobodies. I'm nobody. (laughs) I was nobody. So how do I, how do I, who's nobody, get a show made? How did it happen twice? Well, it didn't happen by someone just saying, we want to make a show with you. Although people say that, but they don't mean it. They'd say it to be nice. Right. Um, <laughs> we want to, They say that to everyone because yeah. you know, on the off chance that you're Larry David, they want you to remember. Well, they were nice to me, but they you don't. Kind of, you're kind of Larry David. You oh could my be god, Larry David. so far <laughs> from could, that. But anyway, so you don't just again write this script and then someone reads it and then we do it. What happens is these networks, these studios, and you should read Deadline, which is sort of the unofficial mm. newsletter of show business to get a sense yes. of this. They have bigger deals with both creative and producer talent. So, like, Seth MacFarlane has a big deal with uh, Universal. Right? Yes. Shonda Rhimes, you know, was with ABC and then has a big deal with Netflix. Ryan Murphy did the same. Yeah. He went from Fox to Netflix. Now, sure, those people have ideas, but it's not like when you hear about Greg Berlanti has 17 shows on the air. It's not like he thought of 20 shows and wrote them. What happens is... They sign a big deal. So the network or studio is paying this person a lot of money. Then that person kind of goes out and tries to find stuff to do. Yeah, follow the money. You're right. right. And so, but it's not that person personally. Shonda Rhimes is not reading 200 scripts to determine this. Shonda Rhimes hires people to do this. These people are non-writing producers. So, and, and so direct, like bigger directors have these people you know, uh, bigger actors have these people, but I'll break down how my first show got made as a way of illustrating this. Yeah. So I had a deal with Fox. So that meant that like, they're kind of attuned to my ideas, but the deal was so small compared to their other deals. They didn't really care. So I kind of quickly realized like I go in and pitch stuff and they keep punting on it. So I, I started to realize what I needed to do to get my stuff up the food chain was if I could attach myself to someone with a bigger deal, that maybe this is a, a mutually beneficial relationship. And so yeah. at that time, Lord and Miller, uh, who are very big, very successful huge, huge. movie people, but they also do TV. They had a deal on the lot and they had a producer named Seth Cohen. And I would run into Seth walking across the lot and, you know, we were friendly and I just cool. sort of figured... I'm just going to like pitch him a little idea and maybe he can take it to them. Maybe not. And I did. And he liked it. He said, I like that idea. You should come talk to Phil and Chris. So then I talked to Phil and Chris and then it came time to sell to the network Fox. And we walked in and <laughs> at the time I was like, I pitched my ass off. I was great. They bought it in the room. You know, I'm like awesome yeah, at pitching. Right. But here's what really <laughs> happened. 
Lord and Miller showed up and are so successful. I could have come in and probably said anything. And the fact that like Phil and Chris were there and said, this is what we want to do. They were going to do it. Uh, yep. A hundred percent. Right. Once it gets made, the person that the, um, who's your big umbrella person will likely not be involved in the day to day running of your show because they're a big film director or they're a big TV director, they're a big TV star, whatever. They don't have time to read drafts of everything. So they will have an employee who will become your partner. This is a non-writing producer, meaning you'll be doing the lion's share of all the creative stuff. You'll be running the room, etc. But you will be running everything you do by this person. Yes. Okay. So it's a, a made marriage. Okay. Yeah. And it's one that you'll have to kind of navigate yeah and and make it work do they have any writing experience they're not in general no in general no and it's funny that now that you bring this up because i was thinking about my experiences with non-writing producers and i really could only think of one but then in just hearing you say this seth mcfarlane was a non-writing producer on dads right he and and just like you said, when you had Lord and Miller in the room with you when you pitched and everybody's like, great, of course they're doing it for Lord and Miller. And when we pitched Dads, Seth was in the room. So, of course, Fox was like, absolutely, we want it. It's, it was oh, the same, same kind of thing. But we didn't have anyone beyond Seth. Like there was right. no minion of Seth's. In but a, in... Seth could have, if he had been interested, like he could have just said, send me all the scripts. You know, his management style isn't that. It's like, I trust you. Right. Do it. He shouldn't have. He shouldn't have. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) But he did. And so, like, that's, I mean, I think most people want that. Yes. If given a choice, most people would just say at the beginning, let me do my thing. Yeah, um, help me sell it, and then I'll do the rest. Yeah, I, and but this isn't to condemn this role. I, okay. Like, I just want to explain no. that, A, this is something you need to be aware of, because I didn't know this right. at yeah, all I going to- in. And, and it totally- can be a, a real source of frustration if you're not expecting it, and then all of a sudden, you know, you thought you were going to be making every decision, and you're really not making any decision. And so, well, what do you get out of it, right? Like, yeah. that's the question. So, yeah. um I'll talk about my other show and how that came to be. So at, at the time I would moved from Fox, I had a deal at Sony and I went in and I pitched them the concept for United We Fall based on my family. And they didn't think it was anything really like they didn't. They said, maybe is this a cable show? And I said, no, I think it's a network show. And like, I, I just couldn't get any traction with them. And so I realized again, like they're not going to listen to me. I need someone up the food chain and there's this director, Seth Gordon, who's kind of a bigger movie director who I had a relationship with because my wife happened to be in a sketch group with him in college. I knew he had a deal at Sony and we were just having breakfast to like talk. And I said, you know, told him this idea and I said, I'm, I'm not really able to get any traction. And he said, well, it's based on you and Stephanie. And, and I said, yeah. And he said, Oh, I I think Steph's hilarious. So yeah, let's just do it. And then all of a sudden, everyone's tune changed because now they're sinking money in his deal. They're sinking money in my deal. So again, it's yeah. like it's almost like a private equity package yes. or something that you're building, and wow. and you're trying to make their money work for them. You know, I thought they should have just done it with me, but they, right. you know, if they're not going to listen to you, they're not going to listen to you, and you can't change that. But what you can do is you can say, well, this person who you think is smarter than me thinks it's good. So, you know, that tells you something. Yes. So then 
again, we, we get to the pilot stage and, and, you know, Seth Gordon's not going to sit around and help you run a multicam. He's off on movie sets. So he had a producer, Julia Gunn, and what she was very good at was she'd been, you know, I think she'd been in some kind of PA on Friends or something like she's been doing this a while and okay. knows a lot of people. And there are all these things that, you know, when you write the script, you're kind of thinking about the director, the casting, and you're really focused on the script. But like, I don't, in my phone, I don't know a lot of line producers and wardrobe people. There, yeah. there are all these other right. departments that you have to fill these jobs. Like you're, you're all of a sudden running a staffing service. Yeah. And by virtue of, of, you know, having, you know, had a, a really good career, she was able to get Deb McGuire, who did the wardrobe on Ted. She did the wardrobe on Friends, like onto yeah. this pilot that was nothing. Right. There That's was this great. line producer who did the middle named Werner Wallian, who she had a friendship with through her cousin or something. And this guy, like, you know, line producers traditionally, they're known for just saying no. Yeah. What else? And this guy, right. all this guy did would say, yeah, just tell me what you want to do. I'll figure out how to make wow. it happen. And and over and over again, he did it. So that's the, the best version. That's what you want to use this person for is to outsource these areas yeah. where you have very little expertise. Um, another one was color correction, which yeah, is you've talked about you shoot the pilot <laughs> and then all of a sudden they go, on your schedule you see, oh, you've got to go into the color and I was like, I didn't go to film school. I don't know what that <laughs> right. means. And then you're, you know, you're watching this thing on a monitor. Like, I, I, I like I just look at what comes out of my camera at home. I don't, <laughs> and like, maybe I open it up in iPhoto and I hit the magic retouch button. And I <laughs> right. go, sure, it changed Great. it. I don't know. But like, they go, is anyone else noticing a slight blue hue? And it's like, who watches TV like that? Like, I've never... Notice anything other than like was what they said funny? You know, did a, right. did a, did a, someone was, do something funny? So it's like they, a former former playmate, Blue Hugh. Uh, yeah. So they, you know, Seth Gordon and Julia had a lot of expertise in that area, and I was able to kind of just sit there and look at my phone during the color screening and and yeah. go. And I don't it's, think, it, to my knowledge, no one to this day ever watched and said, "Well, it was a good show, but the color." Right. The blue hue was not right. <laughs> well, and, and that's all very well said. And you have very good examples of, of what they do and, and how non-writing producers can be very useful. Because I think there's an instinct, you know, if you had been talking to us 10, 15 years ago, and the idea of a non-writing producer had been broached, I think we both would have been very dismissive of who they are and what they do. Because right. we would be cocky, like, we're the funny ones. We have the talent, we're creating the material, and this is just some leech who wants to grab onto our project. And you can understand why someone might think that, but it's not the case at all. They are, they can actually be very useful. And I'm sure in the best versions of it, they are integral to, you know, getting a a great show on the air and made well. And it's funny because... Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, go ahead. I I just don't want to lose my thought. Is... (laughs) They, by virtue of the fact that they're spreading bets all over the table and they're on a lot of tables, they're going to have a lot better relationships with everyone at the network and studio. Which is huge. Than you are. Now, downside, they're probably going to be paid more than you for your (laughs) idea and your show. And they're probably going to take more of the equity, which I think people don't realize going in 
how much they're going to be chiseled. <laughs> right. <laughs> that you think like, oh, if this thing works, I'm going to, you know, have a private jet and I'm going to like go all over the world. I'm going to live in a mansion. It's like by the time nope. it gets on the air, the amount of equity that will be taken away and that you'll accept because you'll go, well, I guess they're going to make it. I guess, well, I guess, you know, this is what I need to be yeah. done because you have no leverage. And then by, right. and then you see a budget and you go, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy shit. Um, but it's funny because the the one real experience that I have uh, in this area actually kind of involves you too, Goldie. So you'll remember maybe five years ago, I was approached by uh, this, this friend of ours, great lady, Susie Schuster. She's been a sports reporter forever. She's married to Rich Eisen at ESPN, and they're, they're uh-huh. friends of ours. And Susie came to me with this, just basically a title, which I thought was a great title uh, for a show called Mass Holes. And <laughs> she was like, oh, you know, would you consider working on this? And at the time, I, I, I just couldn't. But I had said, Goldie, like, you know, you would be perfect to write something like that. So do you remember this? We all went out to breakfast at, at John O'Groats across from Fox. And do you remember what you said when you, uh, yeah. when you came out of the bathroom? <laughs> yes. What did tell say it? I came out of the men's room and I said, that was John O'Gross. <laughs> I love that. I've been laughing about that for five years. That was so funny. So it didn't it didn't work out that you could write it. You were busy as well at the time. And then it kind of got put on the back burner, but Susie kept coming to me. And so I actually ended up writing the uh, the pilot for it. Wow. And we had a table read for it at Fox. And I, like you were describing, I think last week, where you were saying for your making history pilot, you had sort of envisioned being carried off the field like Rudy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> after after how great this pilot read. I had that same feeling with Massholes. Oh, I wow. really enjoyed writing it. I thought it was great. We had all these. Now different... I'm going to be known for drama too. <laughs> yeah. Like well, people are going to see this other side it, of me. It was right. Well, it was a drama D. There was okay. there was there was a D in there, but there was definitely <laughs> drama. And so I thought D like it was, plus. <laughs> I know drama D minus. Um, so yeah, D plus would be generous. But so anyway, the the table read was kind of a fart in the wind, which you sort of realize as you're almost halfway through, and you're like, this is just. I don't know if it's the audience listening or what the actual pilot is. Maybe I've completely overestimated it, but it just kind of went away. And the but an interesting thing is that Susie is sort of pseudo production partners with Tom Werner. And you've probably heard that name from Carsey Werner. They did, uh, and it's going to sound like I'm shitting on him, but they did the Cosby show and they did Roseanne, which were two, <laughs> right. were two shows. giant shows. Yeah, and of yeah. course now both stars are completely disgraced. Yes. But he, he happens to, he made so much money in television that now he's a co-owner of the Boston Red Sox. Wow. So, in the nice. Susie brings Tom Warner on board for Massel. So then all of a sudden everybody's listening, everybody's interested, like, you know, casting is saying, Can we do this? Can we do that? And then I got in my that writer thing, that ego thing where after the table read, I wasn't happy with how it went. They came back to me and said, like, 
can we change this, this, and this and get another draft? And I just never did it. I mean, I was working at Family Guy at the time. So yeah. I'm like, I, I got this job. Like, I don't, I, I liked the way this pilot was and I don't want to tap dance for everybody for something that I felt like the best case scenario is if it gets made, I'm probably going to be taking a big salary cut anyway and right. like working way longer hours. So laziness kind of took over. But it is something that I'd like to go back to. And I will say that Susie Schuster was very useful in in getting the table read to happen and getting Tom Werner on board and, and generating any kind of interest at all. And she still calls me like every few months to be like, Masswell's still dead. You want to do it? No, you're not going to do it? Okay. Well, my kids love your Instagram. All right. You know, so like she's very good at she like keeping cool. it in right. my mind. So I literally do think that at some point well it's free to them to have you keep working it totally this is this is the thing is you're always playing a little bit of hot potato where you go well i just want to make them do extra work because it's work (laughs) i don't have to do and they're always going like writers are totally fungible like anyone can write a draft of anything and like we just want these changes but the thing is is the danger is is once you start letting them get involved in the writing and telling you what to do it's sort of like if you know, on a sports team, when you hear, well, the GM calls down and the manager really does nothing and they're using all these analytics and the coach is just relaying what some kid on a computer is saying, like, right. you're no longer doing what you want. You're yeah. just you're working for them. And you go, this was my idea. I brought you on board. I'm not your employee. But yeah. it really begins to feel like it. And it's it's very hard to not resent it. Yeah. But I think the you know, the main reason I brought this up was to just kind of alert people because we focus so much on the writing. And to me, it's, I don't know if I've made this analogy before, but when we had our first kid, there was enormous emphasis placed on the birth plan going into the hospital. <laughs> like, yeah. like we came up with this whole list of like what we're going to do and we're not going to use the drugs and whatever. And then all yeah. of a sudden, like your wife is screaming and, the, the, you know, you're like, we're not taking any pain meds. And you're like, we need an epidural right now. And the doctors are like looking at your birth plan. And it's like they've delivered thousands of babies. They, they're looking at it like you don't know more than we do. Why, why would we look at your plan like you know nothing? So I I think that people just need to be aware as you're focusing on your script and, and, you know, you're being told by maybe an agent or manager or network person, we want to work with you, we love you, whatever, that in reality, 99%, your project is going nowhere unless you can go up the food chain and get some intermediary between you and the studio, you and the network, who's a bigger name than you to sign off on it and that you will need to be aware that that person, the big name person will then vanish, leaving you to work with another person who you've been introduced to at the beginning and maybe not realize that's going to be your spouse. And that's such a great point. And that, by the way, a lot of Hollywood works that way. That's the way agencies work. You get pulled in by the name agent you've heard of who's like, oh, we love Goldie. Oh, my God, Goldie's so talented. And this is Jake, by the way. But Goldie, we're going to re- represent <laughs> yeah. you to the hilt. And then suddenly you only talk to Jake, you know, and you're like, what happened to, you know, sort of Richard Whites, who was like guiding me through this interview? It's like you're never going to see Richard Whites again unless he's in front of you at a sporting event. Yeah, so. Richard Whites is uh, he's at Springsteen sitting on Max Weinberg's lap in the drums. I know. How? How do you get my, that seat? How do you 
a better seat than the guys in the band. <laughs> he does somehow. Richard White's my joke about Richard White's is that he's going to be sitting in front of me at my mom's funeral. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to be craning around Richard White's head to be like, wait a minute, isn't that my he's, mom? Yeah, he's I, inside, I got tickets, pal. He's inside LeBron's uniform, but somehow in front of him. <laughs> he's in and a turn big... backwards so he can watch LeBron at the same time. How did you arrange this? He's in a, Le- LeBron is carrying him around in a baby Bjorn during <laughs> the game. Uh, Richard White's, we don't know how you do what you do, but it's magical. Anyway, that was um, a very good, you know, again, it, it's just another part of the business that you don't think of as a writer. You know, we talk a lot about, as you said, the script, you know, uh, how do you come up with ideas, agents, but you don't really necessarily ever think about a non-writing producer, but they can be incredibly useful and, and they're necessary. As you said, like you need a liaise between your low level, you're a nobody as we've established and the people that are somebody's at the network and studio. And that person is a non-writing producer. It's very uh, inside baseball, right? But it's, it's also one last sort of thought on on this topic is you have to if you do everything they say they won't respect you at all they'll think you have no vision and that will be the story is like well we just tell him this and he does this and we tell him this and he does this and it doesn't seem like he knows which direction we want to so we're trying our best to help him but if you just if you don't do what they say they're like incredibly difficult to difficult. work with, <laughs> difficult. stubborn, and they won't go to bat because so much of whether you then get more episodes, which I've never gotten in my career, relies <laughs> on everyone somehow liking you and thinking you're easy to work with while also believing you have this vision that you stick to. Yeah. Right. And those two things are completely incompatible, yes. and yet you have to embody both of them for them to think you're doing your job well, which is crazy. Yeah. Yes. Well, and it's like, as you said, it's as difficult. It's like I land have- on the asshole side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the difficult side. But right. that's not a shocker. But it's like you have to hit a perfect tee shot. Then you have to hit a perfect iron. Then you have mm-hmm. to make a perfect putt. And you have to do it for 18 holes. And that's wow. just yeah. like one project. Wow. Everyone is t- whispering in your ear that you're golfing wrong. Yeah, <laughs> giving you the wrong measurements of the course. <laughs> yeah, a cor- they're they're reading measurements from a course that they played last week. Anyway, that that's a good a good breakdown of non-writing producers, and I think a very very good topic suggestion. Yes, and fair. I think I was fair, even-handed, so. yeah. even-handed. All right, let's get to one of our favorite parts of the show, a part of the show we like to call top five. Top five. Oh, that's us singing, and I love it. Uh, The topic this week was Goldie's suggested topic, which I thought was great, which is top five ages of your life. And I actually had a little back-channeling with Goldie on this. I said, is this just, like, in general what you think they will be? And Goldie was like, well, no, maybe it's more from your life, but whatever you want to do is fine. So Goldie, okay. I think we'll let you go yeah. last because, uh, oh, but okay. maybe, yeah, yeah? go yeah, ahead, Goldie. What, do you, what were you going to say? Well, I thought because someone else has to pick the topic that they had to go last. Oh. That isn't uh, necessarily the case. No, maybe not. Yeah, I no, can. you can, you can just chime in after okay. Goldie's done here. Let, okay. let me, let me get us started here. Okay. Okay. Top five ages of life. All right. Number five for me was 13. Hmm. And I'll tell you why. 13, bar mitzvah, huge payday. Uh, <laughs> 
huge. <laughs> I did I did not get a bigger payday uh, than my bar mitzvah until I was in my 30s. So oh, wow. that was wow. a, a great thing. And also at 13, you get to be like king of elementary school because you're not in high school yet. So you're not like the young kid getting picked mm. on. You're the older kid in, in elementary school. You kind of know the ropes. You're, you're king shit. And also at 13... You're really starting to get into music and movies, which was like kind of a magical time in life. You're starting to get a more mature sense of you're seeing, you know, R-rated movies. You're really starting to watch those. You're starting to hear classic rock, things that are outside of the pop world that you kind of grew up with. So it was a really uh, you're just starting to make contact with adulthood in a certain way. And it's weird that, you know, the bar mitzvah, maybe it's just the right time. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, they, in Judaism, they say you become a man. That is far from true. <laughs> right. All right. Number four for me, and we're, we're, we're moving up slowly here. Number four is 14. <laughs> One year later. I'm not, they're not that spread out. Uh, here, here's what's great about 14. You're trying alcohol. You're trying pot. No girls way. Went from an, <laughs> girls from, went from annoying to pretty so fast. <laughs> There's so much finesse in the air. Oh, my God. I can smell it now. I love the smell of finesse. And at 14, there was never more finesse floating on the breeze. And, And what I said about music and movies is it exponentially increases at 14 because then you are in high school. Yes, you're the, the little kid in high school, but you start to make friends who are maybe slightly older than you. You hear new musical influences like, oh, my God, the kids that are 17 are listening to Led Zeppelin. Maybe I should check them out. <laughs> you know, it, so it, it 14 was just a great time, a time of discovery. Can I just summarize more yeah. succinctly what I think you're trying to, to say? <laughs> oh, great. So yeah, excited. Thank you. Thanks for great. that. You start being able to jizz. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The, the the boners are meaningful. Meaningful boners at fourteen. Uh, yeah. Still untouched by human hands, other than my own, but uh, more meaningful. Okay. Three. And again, we we're we're tight in this uh, target here. Three. Three is seventeen. Seventeen. Oh, okay. okay. And I I'll tell you why. Top of the list. All those breasts that we were promised in 80s movies, they're starting to show up. They're starting to come to life. We were promised. We thought we were were sold a bill of goods with all these boobs in 80s movies, but then you see them in real life, and they live up to the billing. Let me me tell you. Uh, It's 17. Again, music. It's expanding so much. I was getting into The Grateful Dead. The Allman Brothers, like you're going to concerts, which you didn't really do at 14. You're going to parties where you're drinking with people. Like 17 is just as fun and carefree as it sounds all the time. So kudos to 17. Okay. (laughs) And again, we're staying close to the target. Number, Number two. 19. Oh, oh, here we go. Team. Here's the here, I'm only going to say one line about 19. The breasts have now turned to vaginas and they're everywhere. Oh my god. <laughs> That's all I'll say about 19. We'll move on from there. And lastly, number 1 and this you know we're we're farther away now. 34. I'm okay. going to say 34. That that for me, 34 was 2007. Now, Goldie, you remember a lot about that year. 2007, the Red Sox won their second 
World Series, so we could stop pinching ourselves. It was real. We were champions again. The 2007 Patriots, I still think, were the greatest team in NFL history, even though they lost a heartbreaking Super Bowl, but that was in 2008. It was at the end of the season. So you had a lot of sports victories in there for me. Also, it was 34. You're still kind of like in the echo of youth, but you have all the trappings of manhood. Like I was... Yeah. I had a good job. I was at Family Guy. I can't believe I've been at Family Guy for that long, but I was wow. already there for three years. You know, things yeah. were going great. I remember 2007 for me, just being a single guy, like, in, and I went through, like, kind of a Justin Timberlake phase where I would wear a <laughs> coat and tie everywhere. And, like, wow. sex, Sexy Back wow. was the biggest song, and I was loving it. I loved that whole era. <laughs> so 34 for me was the best time because it's looking back on it now as almost 50, 34 seems like a baby. Yeah, I really is. just enjoyed that time of life. So, Goldie, thank you. It was really yeah. fun to think about uh, all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I teams. appreciate it. <laughs> You're, a You're, a, You're a horn dog. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I, I used to be. It's kind of been beaten out of me at this point. Now oh it's God. just law and order reruns. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, my number five, um, 17. 17 years go. of age. Yeah, um, we saw I the was, pictures. Yeah. <laughs> that's, those are, that's my number four. Those, most of those were okay, taken. Um, so 17, you know, I was a senior in high school. Um, oh, advanced. Like, yeah, prodigy. Yeah, yeah, I skipped first grade, you know, the, the most yeah. important grade. Anyway, um, <laughs> number four, 32. Hmm. 32 oh, is see, my... Oh, see, we were close. Yeah. I think that's when I felt and looked my best. I was playing a lot of music. Um, Stu and I were together. It was just like a great time in my life. I was, my mo- a lot of those modeling pics are from that age. All right. Well, you look um, terrific now too. So let's not oh, shortchange you. this gal <laughs> in the Zoom window right here. Appreciate that. Number three, I have a, a slash, so I'm going to just choose one. I'm going to say 25. Mm. 25. Nice. Center cut. I, <laughs> I was... Um, <laughs> I went back to school. I went to music school. I had already gone to college, decided to go back and start over, study music. So it was like the beginning of the next part of my career. Great choice. Yes. Number two, eight years old. Mm. Eight years old. Nothing to worry about. There was no like, it was just like you're getting fed. Mm-hmm. You don't have to think about maybe like a job after school. Yeah. You know, your, your parents are waking you. It's like you just, do not, you just live and breathe and, and get fed. And if I'm correct, eight years old for you was 1980. So uh, 1980 was also like the birth of a new That's era right. in America, yes. which ended yes. up being like probably responsible for the awful spot we're in right. now. But at the time, <laughs> yes. it yes. seemed great. Right. Yeah. It just like, I mean, I'm, at eight, I'm sure I didn't understand that, but th- it just felt like there was no worries yeah. in the world. It's morning in America. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah. for me, my number one, 49. My last oh. year was was incredible. I mean, I know we lived in a pandemic in the whole last year, but I just had a, a lot of great things happen in my life. Happy. My head is clear. I feel mentally and emotionally pretty clear and strong and and happy. So oh, I'm that's great. Yeah. Look at you now living your best life. <laughs> Wow. Thanks. It all falls off the cliff at 50. I know. I'm like, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Goldie, hit us all with right. them ages. Um, number five, I'm going to go with 12, much of the same reasons you mm-hmm. went 
as yeah. as 13. I just called it 12. I guess I was actually bar mitzvah when I was 12. But okay. one thing you didn't bring up, and I think we had a, a little bit different youth experiences in this, but one thing I really associate with that age, I'm going to sound like I'm 100 years old talking about like some Norman Rockwell BS, but like <laughs> I had my bike, my dirt bike, I could go anywhere. Oh, awesome. yeah. I had kangaroos sneakers with a quarter nice. in the pocket. Oh, so yeah. if I ran in any trouble... I could call home and I, I, I just had this freedom of growing up that like I'd go bike around with my friends. We you'd just go to a field and bike over crap and like yes. it, it just not that much was expected of you, but you were given a, a enough taste. Your parents were sick enough of you <laughs> yes. that they just let you go and do yeah. crap. So you're, I you're loved at, it. And, and Little League, right? You could bike to Little League. Yeah. Yeah. Could, yeah. That's fine. All that stuff. Yeah. Uh, number four is 29. Oh. And because the anxiety of college and sort of like, what am I going to be has receded into the background. All that stuff that dominates your 20s. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I came out here. I got hired on Kilbourne. I, you know, I went from making like 14000 a year to six figures Nice. Um, yeah. And all the dues I paid in my 20s of all the horrible stand-up sets, you know, over probably 5,000 stand-up sets, Jesus. it paid off yeah. and I was, like, taking advantage. Yes, so, And there was, was still potential left, right? right. Like, I was right. like, I'm about to become who I'm going to become. Yeah, you're yeah. a young man still. Yeah. Uh, the next year, number three, is I'm going to say 35, kind of the year before you get married, I'll call it. For yes. most people, where you're <laughs> yeah. in a great relationship because you're going to get married. So it's all working out. Yeah. You probably like financially because you don't have a house or a family. You can do whatever you want. And you, you're still like a child in a way because yes. you don't have any responsibilities. And you're enjoying it maybe with someone else. Yeah. You're, you know, Love you it. have your job. That's what's important. And that's right. all you have to do is your job and your relationship, and nothing is too complicated. It's uh, that's it was great. a great time. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, number two, I'm going with baby from zero <laughs> to one. Baby. You don't yeah. know anything. You don't have to do anything. Concierge service. Everything Everybody is taken loves care you. of. Right. Everybody right. loves you. You're the cutest yeah. thing ever. You just are in your crib. You're sleeping whenever you want. If you want something, you scream, someone gets it for you, and no one can be mad. And if you're mad, you can cry and throw shit wow. and be a fucking nuisance. I want to change my eight to baby now. Yeah, baby sounds great. Baby was almost number one, but I had to go with number one. I had to go with this year, not because it's like I'm having a great time and it's better, but I know more now than I've ever known. Yeah. And... Yeah. You know, like finally, because of all the self-exploration and therapy and all this shit, yeah. is my ability to like calm my own anxieties oh, is is finally coming to fruition. So I feel like for the first time, I'm not just dominated by like, I'm having this horrible thought and now I have to run with it and it yeah. and it ruins my life. Like I'm able to step back with my knowledge and my and the fact that yeah. I've persevered this far, man, this far means that like, well, I can probably overcome this because you're able to go back and look at the things you've overcome. Yeah. Is it fun? 
<laughs> not always, but <laughs> no, I would say fun. it's it's the most satisfying. Yeah, oh, that's a great answer. That. That's that a great, great answer. Both nice. of you had now as number one, and mine Basically, was like yeah. I was getting laid twenty <laughs> years ago. <laughs> um, totally. Anyway, those are those are great lists. And now, yeah. JC, okay. it's fallen on so, your shoulders yes. to pick our next top five. So next week's top five are top five sportscasters of all time. Oh, JC, God bless you. Wow, I love that. Dead or alive, retired, current, whatever. Oh, so. God, that's so great. There are people <laughs> leaping to mind already. I love yeah. that category. So if you're if you're listening out there, send us an opinion at uh, typicaldisgustingdisplay at gmail.com. And feel free to just uh, shout at the uh, shout at your uh, podcast machine next week when we pick <laughs> the wrong people. Right. And now uh, this week we're going to end our show as we do every week. On a high note. <laughs> oh, Tom Gamble, we love you so much. We got to get Tom Gamble on the show one time. He's, he's going to be a great guest. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'll go first. Mine is pretty quick. Okay. My high note for the week was just yesterday, I believe it was. Yeah. Tuesday. No, no, I'm sorry. Two days ago. Two days ago, oh. I sat in on a two-hour Zoom where my dad taught his local historical society about the history of the American musical. And he did a great job. And, like, I was so... I mean, not only, of course, he knows a lot of stuff about musicals, but, you know, it's like we know a lot of stuff in certain areas, but that doesn't mean you're going to give, like, a good presentation of it. He gave such a good presentation, and he was able to technically play clips from things on his computer that we were all able to see, which I know maybe that seems simple to like someone who's 35 or 40, but my dad is 82. And he was, he played like, I had had to be over a dozen different clips of, you know, this person singing and here's a little clip of the first hit song of the twenties, you know, and and he really went through it chronologically and it was very thorough Everybody watching was totally riveted and stayed the whole time. And uh, cool. I just I just thought he did a fantastic job. So I just want to say kudos to my dad because yeah. I know he had been working on that for a couple of months and that, that it was just great. Yeah, that's a nice Thanks event. for inviting us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to put you through it. It was torture. All right, so who's next? <laughs> um, I'll go. Um, my high, I was going to go with something else, but I'm going to switch it right now and just say that my high note was my birthday and... I got to say, um, you guys sent flowers to the hotel and it was like... We did? Yeah. <laughs> you did. It was Are you kidding me? <laughs> mind blo- it kind of blew my mind. It really like took what was such a great weekend already to like, I cannot believe... I don't know, just being thought of, just, I don't know, it gets me a little emotional, Aww. but it was really, really nice. Of course we thought of you. <laughs> Please, really we, were, we wanted you to and, have a very happy birthday, and I'm sure yeah, you had a you. great time with Stu, because it sounds yeah. like he had a lot of cool stuff planned Yeah, for you. and I was even able to, like, cancel dinner reservations, because you know what? I just didn't feel like getting ready to do anything. And, oh, and God, was, that's the dream. I'm just like, I'm just, let's, can we just stay in the room and do nothing? <laughs> yes. yes. It was yes. the best. Yeah, Love so, that. yeah. Great. Anyway, thank well, again, you. Ha- I love again, you guys. happy birthday. Happy thank birthday. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I too might get very emotional indeed. <laughs> so uh, I have a friend. He listens to the podcast. Don't know if he does every week. Don't know if he'll make it this far. Okay. But my friend, uh, all signs had kind of pointed to him maybe having cancer. Oh, wow. And I was quite concerned. 
but he got his like biopsy back and it's nothing. Oh, so that's yeah, great. I was so great. happy. Uh, yeah. To hear that. Oh, and relieved. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So oh, that's yeah. excellent. If the person hears, they know who I, I'm not going to violate a comment, yeah, but they course. know who I'm talking about. Yeah. So. yeah. That's, that's the HIPAA, HIPAA yeah. violation. Just want to say love you, buddy. And very Oh, yeah, look at that. Really he's sweet. he's wiping tears out of his eyes with the cuff of his sleeve, whoever this <laughs> yeah. anonymous friend is. And we're yeah. we're so happy you're okay to, yes, to, to hopefully listen to many more of these episodes. <laughs> uh, pictures of their grandchildren. Oh, for Christ's sake, he's called a Tinder swindler. Um, anyway. Oh, yeah. And by the way, the, these in the background, those are the flowers that I got. Yeah, oh, of course. I knew that. Yeah, Goldie picked them out for I think ours are the smallest. We must have gone back and forth a <laughs> hundred times. Oh, Goldie okay. loves that. Goldie loves I that. I said, this will never work with JC's color palette. How many, times, get it right? how many times did I text you back? No, not good enough. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're, Absolutely not. Oh, you're I quite love a it. floral taskmaster. <laughs> this is JC, not some fucking raggedy ass piece of shit, you asshole. I mean, I just got really. You know, I really I appreciate it, was, it. It got contentious. But I think we got to the right arrangement finally. Are you fucking kidding me with this? Yeah, there was there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. Um, anyway, well, thank you two for for being awesome, and uh, thank you to all of our listeners out there. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>